Here we go. I'm pretty nervous. It's funny. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize y'all's neighborhood. The foulest stench is in the air. Stench of Richelfield. The funk of 40,000 years. Hey, come on, that's me. Grizzly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver. For no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. <laughs> It's not even funny. Stop it. Oh, yeah, all right. You've had your fun. Come on. Please. Hey, folks, this is Rish Outfield. This is the Halloween episode of the Rish Outcast. It's actually part two of two. I hope, for your sake, you listened to part one. I am sharing my story undecorated and uh, I'm not sure how much I will have to say about the story except that I've explained before that it can be difficult to choose where to break up a story which moment to end it on and originally I had the first four chapters in the last episode, and then I added a fifth chapter to it, and I considered adding a sixth. In fact, I'm still considering adding the sixth because I listened to the story today. And besides finding two errors, which I'm none too proud about, I felt like at the end of the fourth chapter was just not a good moment of tension to split it up. And the end of the fifth chapter, well, it was better, but it still, I felt like ending the story after chapter six might be the, the, the better choice because chapter five ends and, and you sort of feel like things are resolved. But chapter six reminds you that things are not resolved. It's, it's hard. It's something that Big and I have talked about. Thank you. Before that sometimes you wish you could just end your podcast in the middle of a chapter because there are moments where there's tension in the middle of a chapter. And I think the last time we had this conversation, I said, well, you can end it wherever you want. And I have done it before where I end it in mid-chapter and then when I resume, I repeat a paragraph or so, and then commence in the middle of that chapter. You understand. So, Undecorated tells the story of Katiana, her brother Tevin, and their mother that have moved to this town of Lipler, Ohio, where Halloween is not celebrated. And 
Her brother loves Halloween, and so she put out decorations, despite being told that you can't, that there's a law against it. And somebody went as far as to call the police. The sheriff came. He personally took down the decorations and took them with him. And, and Katie did not like that, obviously, nor did her brother. The mom is working a great deal. Uh, the dad is long gone. And so I guess we will continue the rest of the story. And uh, hopefully it will answer a question or two. Underdecorated by Rich Outfield. Katie got up early the next day before school, deciding she'd spend a little extra time getting ready in the morning. At her last school, there had been girls, and at least one guy, who had been true, dedicated, dress-all-in-black, pretend-to-be-witches kind of goths. But Katiana had always had disdain for that cringy crowd. Now, however, she wished she had gotten to know at least one of them, to ask where they bought their clothes and where to buy black lipstick, hair dye, and nail polish. The best she could do on this short of notice was use a sharpie on her fingernails, which was way harder than it looked, especially on her right hand, and darken the tips of her hair using grape Kool-Aid. She rode the bus over to Lippler High, sitting by herself, catching the occasional judgmental glances of a teen or two, but suspecting she was missing a lot more. She honestly hoped someone would come up to her in the hall and ask why she was dressed up for that forbidden holiday so she could bat her freshly mascaraed eyes and say, Why, because of Satan, of course, just to see their reaction. But no one did. Maybe she hadn't gone crazy enough with the clothes and makeup, having not dared shave her head, getting a bunch of piercings and wearing her underwear on the outside. Nobody would sit by her in the cafeteria, but that was nothing new. In their defense, a couple of the girls she knew from classes did wave or smile at her, but there was definitely something conspiratorial going on. She guessed that in a place as small as Lippler, everybody knew everybody else's business, and if you farted at one side of town, someone on the other end would be told how it smelled. It wasn't until art class, fourth period, that someone came up to her and engaged her in conversation. A pleasant surprise, it was Tristan Edwards, the guy she sat next to in world history class. "'How's it going, Katiana?' he asked, pronouncing it like cat. "'Katiana,' she corrected, like Kate. "'Or Katie, if we're friends.' "'Oh, sorry about that,' he said. He was overly polite old-fashioned, but in a charming way. How's it going, Katie? Going all right. How about you? Yeah, uh, good. I'm just, you know, doing my still life. There were a dozen art assignments everybody in the class was supposed to try, but they could tackle them in any order. Katie had been about to start a stippling portrait with the thousands of little dots when she changed her mind and went to the supply cabinet and grabbed some construction paper. Cool, she said. What are uh, uh, you working on? He asked, and seemed nervous, 
like he was a shy boy and she was a pretty girl. Tristan was a cute guy, about six foot two, with sandy blonde hair and green eyes, and they'd only exchanged a few words here and there, but he seemed awkward now. And that could be about anything, couldn't it? She decided to just be honest with him, see where it got her. Thought I'd grab some paper, scissors, glue, see if I couldn't make something seasonal. The set of his jaw changed. She actually saw him swallow before continuing. Fall? Uh, winter? Uh, early huh, Christmas day? De he couldn't say the word, just like her J-dub neighbor in St. Louis with the name of God. Decorations. Right you are, she said, feigning ignorance. Figured I'd make my own for Saturday. They may not be good, but they'll be something. Tristan's eyes went wide. She had his complete attention. No, Kadiana, he whispered, taking her arm and pulling her aside. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Worth what? Getting in trouble? That already happened. His cute face became conflicted, less sure of itself. Listen, I, I can't really go into this with you, but... It was like he had a speech impediment all of a sudden. But what? He signaled her over to the corner of the art room, where the sinks were set up to get rid of watercolors or wash hands covered with paint or charcoal or clay. Nobody ever congregated over there. There's no reason for you to trust me. I know that. But I'm trying to look out for you. It's... Uh, it's really important that you don't put up any decorations. It had sounded difficult for him to even get that much out. Why not? What is the big deal? They're a colony or whatever of religious fanatics living here, like in Utah and Arizona. No, it's... We're not allowed to talk about it. So, live a little, Katie said. If you like me so much, telling me something nobody else will is a great way to get with me. Tristan swallowed, struggling with the right words. I do like you, but not like that. I have a girlfriend. She couldn't help but smirk at that. But let me guess. She lives in Indiana? Or is it Canada? No, she lives here in Lippler. Oh, Katie said. Back in Missouri, the made-up girls were always over in Indiana. He took a moment to calm himself down. Fine, don't believe me. That doesn't matter. I just... I don't want something to happen to you. Something like what? Like villagers with torches coming in the middle of the night, upset that I carved a pumpkin? Worse than that. He cleared his throat, like the sheriff had done. Couldn't you just trust me? Please. She rolled her eyes, exasperated. What's her name? This the awesome girlfriend of yours. Evan, he said, hardly pausing. Why? Oh, that doesn't sound made up at all. He looked borderline offended. It's really Evan. It can be a girl's name, too. 
What's this girl Evan look like? She's super tall and skinny, with brown hair, kind of pale, but in a cute way. He smiled just a bit and sang it. She squinted at him. You're not making this up. It was half question, half statement. You really do have a girlfriend? Yeah, I've got pictures of her, if you still don't believe me. And before she could answer one way or another, he produced a picture of the two of them standing back to back in front of an aquarium, his lock screen on the phone. His green eyes were sparkling, and his girlfriend was just as he described her, only an inch or two shorter than he was, and very cute. Probably prettier than Katie was, even if this Evan was a beanpole. Nice couple, Katie admitted. Thank you. I thought you were into me, she said, surprisingly saddened by the realization that she'd been wrong. She still had a lot to learn. I am a little bit, he confessed. But that's beside the point. I want you to promise me you won't put up those decorations. She shot daggers at him. Why not? Bad stuff happens to people that do. It's a kind of... He put his hand over his mouth, almost involuntarily, like he'd about puked just then. A kind of what? I I can't say it, Tristan stammered. None of us can. It's like the word worse, but with a C. What, curse? She almost laughed. You're saying there's a curse. He tried to speak and was unable to. You can't say it. Really. He tried to nod, but was unable to. That's crazy, she said. I don't believe you. He looked away and managed to shrug. So she made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Say, curse, and I'll let you touch my butt. Tristan shook his head. But I really do have a girlfriend, he managed. Yeah, Jeremy or Evan or something. You can't blame a girl for trying. Katie. And now he seemed to have regained his ability to speak just fine. Do you have relatives in another town you could stay with this weekend? Me? Well, my dad's in Missouri with his new wife. My cousins and grandparents are all still in St. Louis. You're saying I should leave town? If you want to celebrate Halloween, he said, making no eye contact. She tried to draw his attention back to her. Halloween's really fun, Tristan. It gives girls a chance to dress up and act like someone else. Your girlfriend Jeremy could put on a schoolgirl uniform or a candy stripper costume or something like that. Tristan Edwards finally met her eye. That does sound nice. And her name's Evan. Yeah, I got that. And a lot of kids do go out of town to, to parties and dances and stuff like that. I can find out where some are going if you need a ride. You're an awfully helpful guy, Tristan. She couldn't quite keep the cynicism out of her voice. Well, I've said more than I should have. She kind of wanted to punch him right now. You haven't said anything. His voice got low. Yeah, well. She leaned closer to hear, 
and he took no advantage of her nearness. We're not supposed to tell outsiders about it. Not a word. Maybe I should leave town that night, too. You, me, and Edgar. We can dress like harem girls, and you can be a sheik. Evan, he corrected. I'll mention it to her, but there's no chance she'll go for it. No offense, but she's not going to like you. That shouldn't have bothered Katie, but it did. She was a likable girl, despite her disdain for stupid rules. Well, thanks for trying. You really are a cute couple. He gave her a look that was impossible to decipher. Let's talk about this again. After the weekend, okay? She stared at him for just a second or two more, then nodded. He nodded back, like they had some kind of arrangement, and went back to work on his awful painting of the art room window. Mom had somehow missed the whole drama, having left work before any word could reach her about the cop coming to the house, and getting there only after he'd left. Tevin himself had suggested they not tell Mom about what had happened, and Katie looked at him long and hard, trying to gauge whether he was okay or not, before finally agreeing with him. What was done was done. No sense in getting in trouble with their mother in addition to what had already happened. The next day, Mom had taken Tevin with her to drop him off at school, while Katie was still in the bathroom trying to turn her hair purple so she hadn't seen her daughter's little self-makeover. But she saw it after school, and had apparently been told all about the sheriff's visit by more than one person. Katiana, what's come over you?' was the first thing she asked, sounding more tired than exasperated. "'You talking about my makeup, or something else?' "'Take your pick.' "'Just—' Felt like going a little darker, that's all. I understand that, Mom said. Nails look pretty good, though two of your fingers are purple. Slammed him in a door, she lied. Right. And the rest? The little display yesterday afternoon? Katie steeled herself. If by display you mean decorating my own house with totally inoffensive hallow... That's exactly what I mean, her mother said. And we talked about this. It's not inoffensive to the people of this town. Why? Did anybody even bother to explain it to you? Mom sighed. No, they didn't. But they certainly went out of their way to warn me about it. And you and your brother, too. Warn us about an arbitrary rule... Katie said, having remembered the word and practiced it so she wouldn't forget it again. Different places have different laws, Mom said, pretty emotionlessly. Some cities have legalized gambling. Some states don't even allow you to buy lottery tickets. Some towns don't allow alcohol sales. Some let kids drink at 16. Katie knew that couldn't be true, but she didn't take the bait. Some states had black drinking fountains. Doesn't make it right. Mom actually gave that some thought. So, that's what this is, she asked, gesturing at the mascara and hair and nails 
and dark clothing. A kind of political protest. When she put it that way, it sounded pretty cool, actually. Katiana, Mom said. And by the way she said it, this was going to be her big point. The punchline to her whole lecture. What if what you did got us kicked out of here? What if they said, you guys broke your lease agreement and you're out? Plus, we're keeping your deposit. What about that? Katie flinched at the thought. They can't do that. Not over candy corns. They could, Mom said, softer than she had to. Somehow, that made her sound more serious than yelling would have done. I signed a contract. People have been evicted for less. For playing their TV too loud. For smoking. For not mowing their lawn when they're supposed to. That was a chilling thought. But Katie didn't quite believe it. There was something in her mother's eye that contradicted what she was saying. She thought, deep down, that Mom was proud of her and considered the anti-decoration rule just as stupid as she did. Right. Do you hear me? Mom asked, leaning in a bit to make sure there was eye contact. I guess. Have you ever heard the saying, go along to get along? No. Sounds old. Well, it probably is. But some of those old sayings stick around for a reason. A stitch in time saves nine is one my grandmother used a lot. And she was right. That has nothing to do with not putting up inflatable black cats, Katie thought. But didn't say. Katie figured she could change the subject if she asked about her great-grandmother, what she was like, when she had died, if they had been close. And she was right. The next day, Tevin was more than melancholy. For once, he wasn't interested in watching YouTube, or playing video games, or watching people on YouTube playing video games. He just sat in his room, among the unopened boxes of toys and summer clothes and lots and lots of books. Mom had gone into town to get groceries and buy a new winter coat for when it started getting cold. Neither of her kids had gone with her, though Katiana had asked her to pick up some black or purple nail polish if she saw some. Mom had said, It's Halloween today. I'm pretty sure I'll find some... But she had trailed off. You never knew, did you? Katie stuck her head in her brother's room just to see what he was doing. And what he was doing appeared to be nothing. She asked if she could join him. I miss Dad, Tevin said. Kadiana didn't get that. Over the past year, the man had had so little to do with his kids, especially Tevin, who he'd never related to. Brady Smith had been into sports and cars and classic rock music. And other women, besides Mom, she reminded herself, and had nothing to say to a kid that liked dinosaurs and Godzilla and reading books inside when the sun was shining out his window. And Dad had been awkward with Katie, too, the last couple of times they'd been together, probably his way of dealing with the fact that he'd split the family in two, 
and didn't really care all that much about it. I miss him, too, she said instead. Dad would understand, Tevin said, which should have spoken volumes, but Katie wasn't sure what her brother was talking about. Understand what? That was his skeleton. Dad's. He gave it to you? When I was five. He said I could get anything I wanted when we went to Vaughn's for ice cream. Tevin swallowed with difficulty. And the cop tore it up. His breath hitched in his chest, and she realized it was all he could do to keep from bursting into tears again over a cardboard skeleton. He did that to be an asshole, Tev, Katie said. You'll find that type of person everywhere, in every place you go. They probably burned all our stuff. Probably. Or just tossed it in a dumpster behind the police station, although a town this small might not even have a police station, or a dumpster for that matter. Nah, it's probably in an evidence locker somewhere, you know? Like a murder weapon, Tevin muttered, and it held the bitterness of a much older boy, maybe a forty-year-old boy. Katie didn't know what to say. She didn't get her brother, or why he said what he said, or felt what he felt. But she did love him, and it made her heart ache to see him sitting on his bed, not being lazy or enjoying himself on his favorite day of the year. A Saturday, no less but slumped in misery, trying his best not to cry again. Tevin, she said softly. Yesterday, in art class, I grabbed some paper to make my own Halloween decorations, but a guy talked me out of it. But I've got five or six sheets of construction paper still in my backpack. Tevin looked up at her, visibly brightening. To... Make stuff with? To make stuff with. You and me. You want to do it? He did. This is not smart, she told herself, as they sat at the kitchen table, a slightly uneven one that needed a quarter-inch piece of wood under one of the legs not to wobble, with paper, a sharpie, and a pair of scissors. I'm going to get Mom in trouble, and we'll end up getting kicked out of here. Except Mom wasn't renting the little house. She had bought it. There weren't landlords that could evict her, or some neighbor that could put up a stink with the owners. As far as Katie understood it, the bank was the one in charge, and no national bank was going to kick up a fuss over whether a family liked Halloween or not. Which color do you want? she asked, motioning to the black, gray, green, red, and off-white pages she'd produced from her backpack. All of them, he said, the sides of his mouth now threatening to dissolve the frown that had been there all day. Well, which one first? Black can be bats. Or spiders. What can white be? Ghosts, he offered. Or anything, really. And what about red? That one he thought harder on. A dragon? Happy Chinese New Year, then, she told him. Is that today, too? 
She mussed his hair and handed him the marker. A half an hour later, Katie caught a smile growing on her brother's face. He had made his own skeleton, upper half anyway, with too many ribs, about forty, and not enough teeth, about eight. But it was obvious what it was supposed to be. Mom's never going to let us put these up, he said. Katie shrugged. We can always decorate your room with them. That way the cops will never find out. The ghosts will find out, Tevin said, raising his eyebrows melodramatically. Nah, ghosts have better things to do tonight. Like what? She didn't have a good answer, so she said, I think they go on blind dates with witches tonight. It's actually pretty awkward. I saw a reality show about it. Tevin smirked. Yeah? What was it called? It's called the... She tried to come up with something clever, but her mind failed her. The witch's boo. You know, like brew, but with ghosts. He full-on smiled at that, even though it was not at all a good joke. That sounds cool. I want to go to that. One day, you'll be an eccentric millionaire that lives in a big house on the hill, and every year you'll throw a big Halloween party and all the folks in town will line up to get in. What's eccentric mean? It's like somebody who spends all their money on stupid things, but they have so much of it that nobody can blame them. Well, she definitely had him with that one. Yep, that'll be me, all right. And all the slutty girls in town will put on their nastiest outfits, hoping for a night with you, she said, going just a little too far. And she'd lost him. Ew, yuck! I don't want any girls to come to my party. Not even the witches? Oh, yeah, the witches can come. And you too, he added graciously. And all your friends. I don't have any friends, she said, before even thinking about it. I'm your friend. And when I'm eccentric, I'll pay people to hang out with you, no matter how mean you are to them. Thanks, man, she said. And to prove she meant it, she gave him a big hug, the biggest in at least a year. And for the first time in longer than that, he let her. They went onto the front porch together and replaced the missing decorations. Tevin even went through his boxes and put a poster with Chewbacca on it on the inside of the living room window, so it looked like the Star Wars monster was staring out at passers-by, where trick-or-treaters would normally congregate. He laughed when he did it, then went off to find something scary to watch on his computer, his troubles forgotten. Katie went back inside, but didn't have time to feel proud of herself before a little voice inside her, the same one that had told her she was not being smart before she did it, now told her she was playing with fire here. She thought of handsome Tristan Edwards, who was so adamant he was not trying to get her pants off with his thou-shalt-not-celebrate-Halloween warning. He could easily have put in a bit about being shielded from evil as long as she was with someone from town, or if she came over to his place the night in question. He hadn't even offered to use his big, strong muscles to protect her if she became afraid of their local ghost stories. And all that insistence that he had a girlfriend somewhere with a boy's name 
What was that about? Sure, there were certain girls that always wanted a boy who was seeing someone, who was, by that circumstance, more unattainable. But Katie wasn't one of those. Did she seem like one of those? No. She would bet that his girlfriend, Edmund, or whatever it had been, was genuine, and that Tristan was on the level. Even his bit about not being able to say there was a curse? Well, maybe even that. And that meant there was something going on. Something that made a dozen people warn them about it. Something serious enough the sheriff would come right over to tear down some cardboard cutouts. The hairs on the back of Katiana Smith's neck started to dance. The sun set early in the day this time of year, and there was only a bit of yellow and orange light left in the sky. Katie didn't bother to put on her shoes, much less a jacket. She quickly went out to the porch and pulled down the construction paper Happy Halloween. She eyed Chewbacca looking out at her, and felt the disagreeable sensation of being watched. And not just by make-believe dog people, either. There was nobody in the front yard or the street. Nobody that she could see anywhere. She lifted the green construction paper spider off the doorknob. She grabbed the red dragon and, gently as she could, peeled it off the screen door. If Tevin caught her doing this, what would she say? She didn't know. But she was doing it anyway. Sorry, Tev, she whispered. She moved on to the ghost and the bats, disappointed in her weakness, but too creeped out to care. Night fell. The sad truth of the matter was that Every few Halloweens, they came to town, when somebody, usually but not always, an outsider, broke the rules. The townsfolk of Lippler, Ohio, hadn't seen them in five years. The Zang family had decorated for Halloween in the most minimal manner the last time, having been warned, as was the tradition, but not told exactly why just as it always was. No one had seen the Zangs again. But they'd put a pair of jack-o'-lanterns with the Chinese words for harvest and celebration carved into them in their living room window. And that had been enough. Now they were back, from wherever they came from, and everyone knew who was to blame. The beings performed their perverse approximation of a parade through the middle of town, often waving or smiling at the people of Lippler and causing chills and scarred psyches through its inhabitants, young and old. Some of the residents looked away, foolishly believing they would be able to sleep through the night if they didn't see them. But most of them stood inside their homes and forced their children to watch the happy throng moving down the street, not disturbing the leaves that had fallen there, because the children needed to see, lest they ever break the rule out of ignorance, or worse, curiosity. Occasionally, 
they would seek out someone who told, someone who broke the rules, and, depending on the severity of the infraction, that person was upset, physically marked, or not seen again. High school junior Tristan Edwards was one of those souls who had said too much, and one of the creatures broke off from the others in the road in front of his house. It moved slowly, inexorably, toward the Edwards' lawn. Tristan could hear his parents praying in their room upstairs, but he didn't pray. Instead, he pulled out his phone and started to text his girlfriend, who really was real and really was named Evan, that he would always love her. But he didn't get the text finished when the creature reached his window. It clawed at the glass, and he fumbled with the phone, nearly dropping it. The thing, which didn't have a face, merely the approximation of such, leaned in at the window and hissed something to him. Even though he didn't understand its words, its meaning was clear enough. Tristan's knees went weak, and he promptly filled his pants, but the being did not harm him or take him away. It had just been a warning, but one he would never forget. Mom pulled her car up to the driveway and turned off her headlights. It was a dark night out, with no moon, and she glanced behind her at the streetlight in front of her house, sure it would be out. But it wasn't. It just glowed dimly and ineffectually. This was an extremely dark, moonless night the shadows clinging to everything, as if there were a gray filter over all she could see. It gave her the willies. She came into the house through the garage, where Katie was getting a Mountain Dew. Mom, I thought you were on till ten. Nine-thirty. But half the staff had parties they wanted to go to, so I closed up early. Can you do that? I'm the manager, aren't I? Assistant manager, Katie mumbled. I'm in charge of my own crew, Katiana. A lot of authority and responsibility. I wonder if you even have a job, Katie mumbled, even lower. It was meant to be a joke, and that's how Mom took it. Well, forgive me if I rushed home, thinking I could get started on that scary movie marathon with my two darling kids, Mom snarked. They came into the living room, where Tevin was peering out the window. Was that Mom already? Yes. She got fired, Katie said. Kevin looked out the window again. Hey, where did some of the decorations go? He wondered, acting affronted. Well, the thing is... Began Katie, feeling embarrassed, especially now that Mom was home. But then she stopped. Wait, some? Yeah, I put up the bats on the inside here. He pointed to the big living room window. Three of them were taped to the inside of the glass. Katie only gaped at them for a moment, then moved forward, tearing them down with frantic abandon. Hey, cried Tevin. I have to, Katie said, sticking the three bats in a pile on the coffee table. What did you kids do? Mom asked, 
and her eyes were starting to seem afraid, too. I... We made our own decorations, Katie explained, and tears started to come unbidden to her eyes. She had an awful feeling in her stomach that she had made a terrible mistake and might not have rectified it in time. She saw Chewbacca staring out the big window and pulled him off the glass. But they're all down now. I... No, Tevin said. I put a paper ghost on the tree in the yard. Katie's breath escaped between her teeth. You didn't. He, too, started to feel afraid. It was in the air somehow. Contagious. Did you get the spider I hung on the mailbox? Katiana had not. The cell phone belonging to the former Mrs. Smith, Miss Ambrose again, though that was hard for even her to get used to, began to buzz from within her purse. She fished it out, mostly by reflex, since she was distracted by her fear, not of anything supernatural, but that her family would get in trouble. Oh, no, she whispered. She had eleven missed calls. The night continued, as did the sinister parade. Mostly, the creatures walked through town, passing by all of the houses and businesses, seeming to dance to music only they could hear. No one knew where they went the other 364 days of the year. Perhaps they slept. Perhaps they had another village or world of their own. Perhaps they only existed on Halloween night. But if that were so... Why were there more of them each time they appeared? Not a lot. Maybe thirty or thirty-five now. But that was more than on their last visit. The old folks in Lippler remembered when there had only been five or six of them. The people of the town, those who stayed, that was, knew of the existence of the creatures, but not much more than that. What they actually were, what they wanted, even what they were correctly called— was a mystery. They seemed to frolic, seemed to communicate with one another, seemed to appreciate their terrified audience, seemed to be enjoying their night on the town. But who knew for sure? Katiana Smith's mother was still checking her messages. They ranged in intensity, but had a common theme. Someone had seen decorations at the house again. Was she aware of this? Could she do something about it? The time was running out. For the love of your family, please. When half a dozen of them sauntered down Ash Avenue, Katie's street, gyrating to music no human ear could detect, and stopped in front of the house. They were joined by like-minded beings from other ends of the town, all converging on this, their intended destination. They knew long before seeing the decorations, the one or two that remained, that they had been made welcome by somebody that lived there. With joyous anticipation, the creatures moved up Katie's walk, gabbling amongst themselves. The yellowing grass in the yard started to go green again, 
and the worms beneath the ground that had reached the end of their lifespan became quick and virile again. Eighty-six-year-old Abel Clancy, two houses down, no longer able to drive or read the newspaper or even watch the sunset, regained his sight. The Smith's house didn't have a landline installed, so it was difficult to call them. But Mom's cell phone got new calls while she was still checking her messages. She hung up on voicemail, and the phone began to ring and ring and ring. She didn't bother picking up. Kids, let's go. Go where? Tevin asked, still tying his other shoe by the front door. In the car. Whatever is going on, we need to get out of town. All three of them heard a noise out in the front yard. It sounded like a cross between a person singing and a dog howling at the moon. Katie couldn't place what it could be, but it made her sick to her stomach. The wrongness of the sound. Her mother was still under the impression these were people coming to get them. Come on, she said, grabbing her keys from where she'd set them on the counter. Something struck gently at the front door, almost like a knock, only wetter. Who is it? Mom asked, then immediately changed her mind. Tev, get away from the door. But the boy was already looking. It's... He didn't finish. Something was standing at the living room window, something that seemed to be dressed in a cloak or a robe, but moving all over and swaying gently, almost like it was dancing. It tapped on the window, again, like a knock. Before they could head for the garage, something came in through the garage door, a figure covered in a robe or blanket, a figure that stared at them without a face. It was joined by several more. "'What do you want?' Mom shouted. The creature cocked its head, looking without eyes at the mother and her two children. It appreciated the invitation to the house. It spoke in a tongue none of the Smiths knew, but all of them understood. "'We have come to take you with us.' The front door opened. More of the beings entered the house, including the four that had been the Zhang family five years earlier. The smallest of these pointed up at Kadiana, and she felt it smile. It wanted to thank her for calling them to her, for making them feel welcome on this special night, and it wanted to return the favor. Katie's face, independent of her will, smiled back. The town of Lippler, Ohio, had a unique opportunity. To join an elite club, a group of travelers unbound to this particular individual world, to explore and laugh and love and live forever. But it meant never coming back to the life they knew before. It meant not being human ever again. And the Smith family got to join the creatures in their revelry, in their joys and new discoveries except they couldn't get off the train once they'd boarded it. There was always more track on up ahead, always new destinations in front of them.
the townsfolk would do their best to explain away the disappearance of the three newest members of their community. As far as they were concerned, the Smiths were dead. Quite tragic, quite sudden. But it had been avoidable. They all knew that. New families moved into town all the time, and plenty of them obeyed the rules. But eventually, somebody would break them, thinking Halloween was a fun holiday, sure, but a night like any other. And the beings would return. But this time, there would be three more than there had been before. The End Well, there you go. Undecorated by Rich Outfield. I wanted to share this for Halloween, and uh, I'm not sure what to talk about. Okay, I had three things that I wanted to talk about while I was listening to the story. But before I get to them, there there was a, a couple of part. There were a couple of parts that I really, really liked in this story. Most of the time you'll hear me bag on my writing and say, you know, it's just not up to snuff. And, 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 and if you said that about this story, I would not disagree with you. I would be, I would lower my head in shame and say, yeah, I'm never going to be a good writer. But there were a couple of moments today while I was reading, while I was listening, where I thought, oh, no, that worked. That bit right there worked out great. Well done. And hopefully you, who didn't write the story and didn't know where it was going, felt much the same. I, I mean, I hope that you enjoyed the story. I know I did. So the first thing I, that I wanted to say that it was that I got this idea a couple of years ago about a town that didn't celebrate Halloween and the whole decorations thing. And when I jotted down the idea. It was a male main character, about a 15, 16-year-old boy and his little sister. And I was a 15, 16-year-old boy, and I had a little sister, and I was very protective of her. I, I, I cared a great deal for my little sister. She was always very small and had health problems, and uh, I was so much older than her that I that I felt uh, fraternal toward her. Yeah, I know. And at some point, I decided that I would rather write about a teenage girl than a teenage boy. Don't go there. And I felt like that made the story more interesting. But... The, the idea that a little sister absolutely loved Halloween uh, to the point where the, the brother would go out of his way, he would break all these rules just to cheer up his sister. I'm not sure if that works. Halloween, for the most part, I know there are exceptions, appeals more to a boy than to a girl, at least in my experience. And yet, would the relationship between a big sister and a little brother not be very, very similar to that relationship between a big brother and a little sister. I think it would be. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember why I changed the main character to a girl. 
except for that I guess I enjoy writing about them. And I think it's easier for me to be afraid for a female character than a male character. Our patriarchal society, right? Something about that. Uh, it's also that we see girls as more vulnerable. There's the idea of a slasher movie with a final girl. It's almost never, ever, ever a final boy. And I think it's because it just works better. Surely psychologists have speculated about why that is. You know, why it's a Laurie Strode or a Sidney Prescott or uh, Alice from Friday the 13th or uh, any number of these characters. I can't explain it. It's above my pay grade. But listen, if you have a theory as to why it's always a final girl and not a final guy, please mention it in the comments. I, I'm very curious as to what you think. Abby Hilton. Hilton for the stay. Is a friend of mine. Hence the drop I just made. And she says that she would rather write about male characters than female characters. And so maybe we're both broken in the same way. Or maybe that's just something that appeals to us. So that, that was the first thing that I wanted to say. But let me say a tiny bit more about Katiana. I like the character. She's not got a lot of, of detail. I don't see her in my head. But she's not a stupid person. Sometimes I stress the ignorance of characters that I write about. Maybe more than I should. And you've heard me say it before. I just, I don't like writing about child geniuses. Oh, I just, I hate that. Because it was not my experience growing up to be smarter than everybody in the room. And it's probably just the misfortune that I had of reading a ton of fiction around the time that I decided I wanted to write fiction, where every character, every child or teen character was a super genius. I decided I don't like that. I decided I don't want that in my fiction. Although it may be just laziness on my part. If I write a character that's super smart, then I have to be super smart with that character. I have to maybe do research. I have to get into specifics so that it doesn't just sound like somebody was smart because they use a big word. Katiana uses arbitrary twice. So, so there. I, but I, as, as far as the character goes, the thing that makes her unique among the stories that I've written is this streak of rebellion in her that where she is willing to get in trouble. She is willing to break the rules because in her mind it's for a worthy cause. But then also she gets a thrill from breaking the rules. And historically, teenage girls tend to not get along with their mothers. And, and well, again, I'm not going to say historically. In my experience, my sister always fought with my mom 
and got along splendidly with my dad. And it was the absolute opposite of me. I remember one time we went and saw a movie, and it was the uh, Johnny Cash movie, Walk the Line. And Robert Patrick played Johnny Cash's father and my father. And there was this moment when Robert Patrick was just like, you're never going to amount to nothing. Why are you wasting your time, you stupid bastard? Or whatever he said, you're no better than John Connor, he says. And my sister leaned over in the theater and she said, oh, can you imagine what it would be like to have him as your dad? And it shocked me. It's the thing I most remember about that movie to this day. I wanted to lean over and say, that is my dad. What are you talking about? That's a handsomer version of my dad. But I didn't. I didn't say that because even then I knew that she was daddy's little girl. And I was, you know, a point of shame in the, the household. And here we are all these years later. I'll bet Walk the Line came out close to 20 years ago. And uh, I'm still that same disappointment. Okay, so that was the first thing. The second thing that I wanted to talk about was that this is similar to other things that you have read or seen. The Town with a Secret. We've seen it done well, and we've seen it done poorly. And in the examples where it's done poorly, nobody ever just says, Stop! Explain to me why. And, you know, that's something that I was worried about while I was listening, was what if the audience is just like, well, why doesn't Katie just ask why they don't celebrate Halloween? But then we got to this half, the part with Tristan, and he can't explain why. The people in the town can't explain why. And I thought, well done, Rish from a couple of years ago. Well done. Because even if Katie just said, stop, tell me why you can't put up Halloween decorations, she wouldn't have gotten an answer. We see it with the girl with Meg at the beginning, where she just, she runs away. And uh, I think that that worked well. I, you know how I am with writing. I can't remember why I wrote something the way that I did. I can't remember when I wrote this story. I, except for I remember that it was an idea that I had for a long time. And I just didn't write the story for, oh, 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 the longest time. <laughs> you do it, fake Sean. If you said goodbye to me tonight. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I would still, still have, have music, music left to write. To write. Ah, what else could I do? I'm so inspired by you. That hasn't happened for the, for the longest, longest time. time. Right. Thanks, fake Sean. No more, okay? People hate that. They hate it when you quote song lyrics. They hate it. Really? Well, one, one person likes it. This was an idea that was kicking around in my head. And I feel that I probably didn't write it because I didn't know how it was going to end. So you write a story like this where there is a central mystery. 
And J.J. Abrams will tell you that the mystery is far more important than the solution. And perhaps that's right. Perhaps it isn't. The problem with a mystery is that there is an implicit contract with the reader or the viewer, or in my case, the listener, that you will solve the mystery, that the mystery will not go unanswered. And so to construct a story like this, you have to decide, why doesn't the town celebrate Halloween? I wrote the story. I know, I knew where it was going. But at the same time, I did feel a little bit of tension while I was listening to it today of, what if this doesn't pay off? What if people get to the end and they go, I have questions, or worse, I don't like the answer. And I think we can all agree that there are stories where the buildup, the buildup, the buildup, it's all good, but you get to the release, the climax, the solution, and it's disappointing. The mystery, the everything is ruined. Everything is lessened. You're like, oh, I remember uh, talking to somebody that felt that way about uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movie Signs. They just hated the ending. They hated the, the reveal. And I thought that it worked very, very well because it had been set up. And my friend talked to me about the illogic of aliens, of that ending. And I thought, but, but the movie has a message from beyond the grave that can only be considered supernatural, sent either from God or from guardian angels or from prescience or from, you know, the Twilight zone way of somehow the wife knew what she needed to say for the future as she was dying. It makes me want to sit down and watch Signs again, because I think it works excellently well. But that doesn't mean that my friend was wrong. And that doesn't mean that those of you who think that that's one of his bad movies, like Old or Lady in the Water or Crappening, that doesn't mean you're wrong. Although, really, can you compare Signs to the Crappening? I mean, the, the, the whole point of Signs is that Mel Gibson's character regains his faith, that there is a God, that there is a higher power, that there's a purpose to everything. Oh, well, that's neither here nor there, is it? Isn't it? That's right. Thanks. So the solution to this is that there are creatures that show up in our plane of existence on that night. And it didn't have to be October 31st, except for that it did. You could write a story, or I could write a story, because I love to write these stories about towns that have something weird about them. They have, a, I almost said confluence. Is that the word that I want? They have some phenomenon that occurs there. And I just, I, I like to write these stories about the outsiders that come that don't know anything about them. You know, my dead and breakfast stories are essentially that. Although it's, it's debatable if it's the same kind of thing. 
I, I just really like these stories. And so when I came up with that as a solution, maybe it makes the story less scary when you finally find out. And I have that little interlude where it cuts away from Katie and her family and tells about the parade. And well, hopefully that worked for you. The thing on, on this, on the ending, is that I am a bit of a softie. And I don't like really unhappy endings. Twilight Zone often did unhappy endings. And Outer Limits did unhappy endings. When they did the 90s revival of Outer Limits, they took that ball and they ran all the way into the end zone with unhappy endings. My buddy Big would have loved that show. Except for the episode where Alyssa Milano took her top off, because that one had a happy ending. In, In more, more than, than one way. way. Hey, well done, fake Sean. Badge of a feather, aren't we? <laughs> it's an unhappy ending, sure. Undecorated is. But I tried to... <laughs> I tried to uh, leaven it a little bit. Does, does that make sense? Like the stuff with the family, the previous family that had lived, did they live in that same house or they were just a new family that had moved in five years before, right? They had been transformed into something else, right? Which is bad, but it's better than being eaten or dragged down to hell or whatever your imagination can imagine that would happen to this poor family. And I, I remember about 25 years ago, I made a list of every single story that I had written. Now, it's less than 25. From 1990 on, from when I decided I wanted to write on, and I would put what the genre was, I would put whether it was finished or unfinished, because that's important for me. I would put what the threat was if, if it was, you know, a horror story, you know, like a ghost story kind of thing. And then I would put whether it was a happy or an unhappy ending. And I feel like around that time, it was about 50-50. But in the years that have passed since then, I mean, I've written a ton more stories, but I'd say that there are a lot more with happy endings them with unhappy endings now. Does that make sense? Like, we have grown accustomed, especially in the movies, to seeing happy endings. And horror is the only genre where you can have a unhappy ending, except for, I guess, tragedy. But is tragedy a genre? I'm not going to answer. It's a rhetorical question. But horror is the only major genre where you can have an unhappy ending and audiences will still be satisfied. And yet, a lot of times they shy away from it because they're afraid of the audience being displeased by that ending, by that unhappy ending. Even, you know, you get movies like Nightmare on Elm Street that have a baffling 
pretty stupid, frankly, ending because New Line Cinema would not let Wes Craven have his intended ending. And I know that there are DVDs out there, probably Blu-rays, where you can watch his original ending, and it's, it is a happy ending. Nancy beats Freddy, and suddenly everything has reset, and her friends are alive again, her mom is alive and sober, and Nancy is going to school. Her mom walks her to the door, and I, I feel like there's fog or, or mist or something in the air, and Nancy is hesitant. She looks around as though, you know, it's like, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No. And then she goes down the walk uh, to join her friends to go to school. They drive away and the camera pans over and there are three little girls jump roping and they're doing the one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And that's it. That is the ending that Wes Craven had for it. And it works really, really well. I mean, of course, I've never seen the movie with that ending. And maybe they tested it and it did not go over wonderfully. And I think that they always suspected that this ending wouldn't fly. And so Robert Shea made Wes shoot alternate endings. And so you get the last scare, which is what the 1984 movie had. But it's dumb. It's ridiculous. And all of the sequels, I'm sure, have the exact same, oh, we finally beat Freddy. Or did we? No, you didn't. Roll credits. Ending. I remember there was a movie called The Descent that Neil Marshall made a few years ago. Marshall of the New Republic. Well, I guess that counts. Usually it's for Latham, but okay. Marshall is my favorite one. And in that one, there are a group of young women that go spelunking in this cave and something is inside the cave and it wants to get them. And in Neil Marshall's version, the mo spoiler, by the way, the movie ends, they're trapped in there with these things. Not so happy ending, roll credits. And whatever American distributor said that we're going to put out Descent here said you guys have to change the ending. And the ending that they came up with is so stupid. It is so ineffectual and nonsensical that it ruined the movie for me. You'll find The Descent on a lot of like top 10 lists and stuff, and it is really, really good, but not the version that I saw in the cinema. Sometimes, yeah, I almost said sometimes dead is better, sorry. Sometimes the bad guys win. Sometimes the, the, the unhappy ending of a story, a horror story, is the right ending. I remember Richard Donner saying that he had a bunch of trouble with Fox about how would the omen end? Would Gregory Peck have survived or would Damien Thorne have survived? 
say hi to Damien. And thank goodness he got his way. Because, well, obviously they, they made a bunch of sequels to it. But it just, the unhappy ending, it works. And m maybe it works because we don't see it so often. Not every filmmaker has the nuts to say, and then the bad guys win. The end. I could give you more examples. I, 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 some are still jumping into my mind. You know, there have been movies that got test screened and the audience that watches it says, you know, I liked everything but the ending. And if they got enough comment cards that say that, then a lot of times the studio will pony up some more dough and say, okay, let's do another ending. Sometimes it's months later and somebody doesn't have the same hairstyle. Sometimes you can't get everybody together because they're busy. And sometimes, I'll, I'll admit it, those alternate endings, the revised test screen endings, work. But there are a lot of times when maybe you rent a DVD, back when people used to rent DVDs, yes, I know, I'll take out my dentures for the next part. And you watch the alternate ending and you go, oh, okay, you know what? They set that up. They didn't set up the ending we just saw. Anyhow, I'm sorry that I got off on that tangent, but it is Halloween. I do love Halloween so much. I mentioned that girl that calls it spooky season. For some reason that really bothers me, but I do love the season. And I love the opportunity to see scary movies and hear ghost stories and see decorations and costumes and see Halloween flavor of sodas or <laughs> the monster cereals. I mentioned that last time. I hope that somehow my story made your Halloween, your spooky season more rewarding. I hope that you liked it. And I thank you for listening and, um, would remind you that rules are there for a reason. Good night. There's no escaping the jaws of the alien this time. This is the end of your life. This is fake Sean Connery. And you can support me and the boy over at Patreon.com. Encourage us to put out more shows by donating a dollar an episode. Or more if you've got more money than cents. Which, I suppose, some people have. And that's it for The Rish Outcast, which is produced under a Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution No Derivatives License, which means Rish owns it. Unless he stole it. And it's free of charge unless you paid for it, and Rish has been lying all this time. <laughs> the music in the show was by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com, who released it under a Creative Commons license. 
I only wish he had a podcast so I could be listening to that instead. This has been your friend, Fake Sean. Happy Halloween. itself and what you want to do okay hold on kids clearly an accident here oh my gosh wow look at that and i'm podcasting you know what i'm gonna go a little slower okay kids (laughs) holy smoke is that an outtake last time i put an outtake about this deer that that was crossing the road just as I was coming along. And I said it was a doe, but it was actually a fawn. And uh, I ended up cutting that and putting it at the end. But, huh, I can't even remember what I was talking about. So that, yeah, there were, okay, there were four vehicles, two on each side of the highway. And there might even have been a fifth vehicle. It's, it was impossible to say because there's a drop-off on the side of the road and there were two trucks there and I almost got the impression they were trying to pull up a, a another vehicle that had gone off. Terrifying. Guys, more terrifying than any story I could write because it's all too plausible. It's all too possible. It's all, it just happened. And there was just enough room in the road for me to drive through the two trucks were blocking the other intersection, but there's not a lot of traffic right now. And so I made it through, but it does give me pause. It does make me think, boy, what am I doing now? I didn't mean to leave this late. I, I started carrying things to the car uh, a half an hour ago, but there was so much snow yesterday and today or during the night that I uh, had to scrape the windshield and then the back windshield, and then I couldn't get the windshield wipers to work. And what I hadn't realized was that it wasn't snow, it was ice. The snow had melted onto the windshield wipers and then frozen solid, these giant clumps of ice that are still sitting on my bonnet hood. And, uh, I kept trying to pull over and find a place where I could see what the matter was, but there was so much mud everywhere that I would stop the car, I would open the door, and I'd say, oh, I'm not stepping out here. Anyway, it (laughs) doubled the amount of time it normally takes to get out and get going. But the canyon is actually pretty small. I think it's, it's less than 10 miles. And once you emerge from the canyon, you have cell service, you have a town, and, uh, you know, if something happened, I would be okay. And what's weird is, uh, yeah, the sun hasn't even set yet, but it was so dark where I was that I was just like, did I leave an hour late? Did the time change, the October chime change happen already and I missed it? But it's just very, very cloudy. And now here I am at the 
underneath the clouds and I can see the sunset. I can see that, I, yeah, I left on time, normally, just was not a normal situation. So, so thank you for listening to this outtake. Please tip your waitresses. Patreon.com forward slash Rich Now let me see if I can remember what I was talking about before I was so rudely interrupted by myself.